0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome to another hour of provocative inquiry, an inquisition by way of the examination of consciousness designed to inform and enlighten all of us about ourselves and the world around us. This is an hour for the open-minded. For the next hour is dedicated to exploring the nature of our beliefs, our knowledge, and how and why they interact if they do all in our attempt to understand who we are and exactly what it is, to be enlightened. We make it a point to admit in the beginning that there are limitations to our method of knowing and certainly to our so-called epistemological certainties. We therefore acknowledge from the get-go that everything we have thought we knew may just be wrong. In this way, each week we undertake anew our search and discovery of the human potential in hopes that we may truly expand our awareness. Last week, our guest was Peter Calhoun. Peter addressed an aspect of consciousness that pervades history, that of shamanism. Mind and or consciousness, depending on how we differentiate the two, entering into the world and interacting literally with animals and elements, using thought to stop the wind, to end droughts by calling in the rain, to speak with animals, this and more, all the stuff of shamanism. And we learned that shamanism is very much alive and well in our 21st century. Not only that, according to Peter, a former Orthodox Christian cleric, Jesus himself was a shaman, and it was an interesting argument to hear how and why Peter believed that to be the case. Now, Diana wrote, quote, "Excellent Hay House show today, Eldon. It was great to get, uh, great to get to know a little bit about your speaker, Peter Calh- Calhoun, and to learn." More about modern shamanism. I found your conversation and the discussion very informative and enjoyable. And I'm really looking forward to the new show format you spoke about for future guests. Well, thank you, Diana. Uh, And what she is referring to, for those of you who may have missed last week's show, is our plan to give you a book every month to review in advance of the author's appearance on our show. That way you will have the opportunity to actually do the interviewing. You ask the questions, and I will more or less just kind of moderate the show. Our first book to do this with is The Intention Experiment by Lynn McTaggart. Lynn is also the author of The Field, and she will be here on February 2nd, so get the book. It's a terrific read. Lynn's work was cited by Dan Brown in his book, The Lost Symbol. And Lynn will be, for, will be performing a series of water experiments, including a live one in Japan with Masaru Emoto, and most of you probably know about Emoto's waterworks, in late March. At the end of January, she's also running a water into wine experiment with the University of Arizona. Now, that's the end of January, so we'll have some results on that come the February 2nd show, okay? All right. All of this work is based on the proposition that intention influences the physical world. You'll want to talk with Lynn on February 2nd, so get her book and plan to join us then. Okay. All right. As you know by now, I share a few letters each week from our listening audience. So here goes. Linda wrote, keep us the great, keep up the great work with your Hay House radio show, Eldon. Very interesting and thought provoking. I appreciate your feedback, Linda. Chrissy wrote, I love your work. Thank you for what you do, Eldon. I'm a light worker living in Houston, Texas. I enjoy listening to your Hay House Radio show. Well, thank you, Christy. Carol wrote, Love the show on Hay House Radio. I have to tell you, we love the Hay House audience. Uh, Carol, Hay House Radio is a great network with a fantastic audience, so thank you, all of you. Michelle wrote, Just wondering, I've noticed that I haven't gotten any new Mind Matters podcast for several months. Has the show been off the airways that long, or is there something wrong with my subscription? Miss listening to your great program. Well, now, Michelle, thanks for your letter and your support. The answer is we moved our show to Hay House Radio, and we now call it Provocative Enlightenment. Now, I have sent Michelle an email to that effect, so the reason I share this with all of you is to encourage you. If you are one of those that followed us here from the Mind Matters show, please let everyone that you know that listened to us there, let them know that we're here on Hay House Radio. Let everybody know that we're here on Hay House Radio, whether they listen to Mind Matters or not. And again, thank you for your loyalty. Mladen wrote, I just finished reading Mind Programming, which I purchased at the I Can Do It conference in Tampa, 2009. You put together a brilliant piece of work. I commend you for a job well done. I will definitely use the Serenity Affirmation CD that accompanies your book along with the exercises, tests, and I will also be ordering more CDs from your InnerTalk website. I will spread the good word about your book, and my hope is that many more people will read it. Thank you for shedding more light on these topics and for validating what my intuition told me. I truly believe in the power of spirit. I look forward to purchasing and reading your next book. What does that mean, exploring mind, meaning, and mysteries? I also plan on seeing you at the I Can Do It in Tampa 2010. Once again, thank you for a job well done. Well, now, thank you very much for such wonderful comments. And I want to tell all of you there my newest book, What Does It Mean? just arrived and is now shipping from online stores. It may not yet be in the good old brick-and-mortar stores, but it should be arriving there soon as well. Now, as for the ICANN conferences, I would invite all of you to join me in San Diego or Tampa this year, where in addition to the two-hour presentation, I will be uh, providing or doing a day-long workshop. While we're on the subject of new releases, also, my new three-DVD Hay House video, Change Without Thinking, is currently being offered, with a number of bonuses, including our Stop Procrastination CD, all for only twenty-four ninety-five. There's a link on EldonTaylor.com to this offer, and there are many other added bonuses available free when you place your order. You want to take advantage of this. People that attended the live conference from which this 3DVD set was uh, enhanced paid hundreds of dollars to do so. All right. <clears throat> Angela wrote, I'm sorry, Angelica wrote, let me start off by saying I absolutely love your show on Hay House Radio. I have been listening to Hay House Radio for some time And your show is a unique and satisfying addition to the lineup. I have many questions, and I'm sure I could pick the brains of your very guests for hours. However, the question compelling me most today is in respect to evil. I love the teachings of Abraham. Angelica continues. The consciousness channeled by Esther Hicks. He states that there is no darkness or source of evil, simply a practiced resistance, Just as I was getting comfortable with this idea, someone like Lorna Byrne, who you interviewed, comes along and delivers a compelling read on her experience with angels and what they have shared with her and how evil is, in fact, a real entity. I would love this to be explored, if possible. Is evil the absence of allowing simply a form of resistance, or is it a living, breathing entity with its own consciousness and agenda, as I have been taught for years within the Christian faith? Angelica continues, in regards to Christianity, I also have some questions about Jesus. I understand this topic may be controversial to some, but this is what puzzles me. If he is an ascended master, as so many on Hay House teach, then why did he die on the cross? What of his message of salvation? Has it simply been misunderstood or represented incorrectly in the Bible? In Lorna Byrne's book, Angels in My Hair, she speaks a great deal about angels, but In one particular part, she speaks of Archangel Michael and how he has crucifixes on his shoes. Yet she never speaks about Jesus in her book. Still, crucifixes are directly connected to Jesus, are they not? I suppose this also confuses me some. You see, she states that it doesn't matter what denomination anyone is, but then Archangel Michael has crucifixes on his sandals. Is this simply how she saw him because of her Catholic upbringing? What can be made of this? Are angels and their evil counterparts actual entities, or are we simply seeing energy manifested in a form that has to be created by our minds? I suppose it is a multi-layered subject matter, but these are just some of the things I wonder about. Perhaps you could keep these questions in mind and tackle them at some point on your show. Keep up the great work. Okay, Angelica, I'll tell you this. I tend to prefer letters that are somewhat more pithy for airing on our show unless they address an upcoming event or something like that, but this one is just too juicy to pass. Lorna Byrne will be joining us again in March, so we will take these questions to her. With that said, our guest today may well shed some light on this issue as well. I do have my opinions about this, but I will hold them until we can frame the subject a little more properly. Okay, I love reading your letters and we do value your feedback. You can opine by leaving comments on EldenTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also leave comments for me in the chat room. To that end, here is one comment out of our chat room from last week submitted by Amana. Quote, I don't know about the rest of you, but I so needed to hear this today, end quote. Well, we hope that every week we can bring you something that serves you, all of you. And thank you, all of you, for your letters and feedback. It guides our work and helps us create a better show. And even if I don't get your letter on the air, rest assured it does get read and it is appreciated. Now to today's subject. Consciousness begins and ends where? Does it end at all? Is it fluid? Do we have multiple layers of consciousness? I mean, do we have somewhere in our consciousness recollections of past lives, a memory veiled from us of a time before this lifetime, of what took place in between lives, of the creation epic itself, of soulmates and soul groups, of some kind of immersion where we lost individuality as with some forms of Buddhism? Or is it all, all of this just fanciful wish thinking? Perhaps the questions really should go like this. Does personal consciousness survive the grave? If so, what should be expected? Are there frightening things on the other side, or is this the proverbial milk and honey story? Do people get smarter, become more spiritual just because they die? And if not, if not where do the Charles Mansons and the Adolf Hitlers of the world go? For me, the evidence for life beyond the grave meets the criteria I refer to as, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt or as friends of mine involved in this research with me call it, the Bard, B-A-R-D, beyond a reasonable doubt. Our courts use criteria to decide guilt or innocence in capital cases. The evidence comes from a variety of areas, and like witnesses appearing in a courtroom, some are more compelling than others. Our guest today is one of the more compelling, and her book is full of stories, offering insights into this inquiry, but moreover, our guests suggest that we should all practice dying just as we practice living. That living and dying are opposite sides of the same experience, the same coin, so to speak. Now, I know what I think about all of this, but we want your thoughts, experiences, questions, and feedback as well. We have a lot to talk about in the rest of this hour, and we invite you to join us by calling toll-free... 1-866-254-1579, and international callers can dial the country code, then 760-918-4300. So do our guest today, Dr. Anna Maria Hemingway is the author of Practicing Conscious Living and Dying. Her book delivers an uplifting collection of spiritual, spiritually illuminating texts and powerfully thought-provoking real-life stories, showing death as an integral part of life. Anna Maria suggests that modern medical advances have resulted in death and dying becoming a taboo, which leaves us isolated when the inescapability of death touches our lives. Her touching observations of closeness to someone who is dying and personal accounts of near-death experiences and after-death communication illustrate how coming to terms with the inevitability of death is actually a life-affirming experience. The book's emotionally evocative and inspirational narratives address timeless questions. Anna Maria Hemingway earned her first master's degree in consciousness psychology, then her second in depth psychology with an emphasis on myth, and her Ph.D. in depth psychology with an emphasis on myth. She has a background in studying the near-death experiences and related phenomena and wrote her dissertation on the near-death experience, a mythic model for conscious living and dying. She is eminently well-qualified for today's subject. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Hemingway.
2: Thank you. What an introduction.
1: Well, you'll take that one, huh? I'll send you a (laughs) bill. Listen, to begin with, please familiarize our audience with yourself and how you became involved in the study of life and death.
2: Well, I guess um, I became involved in the study kind of um, by accident, as it were. I mean, it's not a subject that I would have imagined myself becoming immersed in. But, um, you know, fate kind of takes you along a certain path. And I first became interested in this subject in depth, really, when my own mother was in the dying process. And I realized, you know, how isolated not only the dying person can often feel, but those that are supporting them can actually feel that too because it became very apparent to me then how much we fear death and, you know, how much we shun people, not intentionally, but often because um, we have a fear base. And so I decided, um, you know, after my mother's transition, that I wanted to do something um, worthwhile with that experience because it was a very illuminating time for me um, as well as being painful and difficult. And so um, it came to writing the book. I mean, that's how the book sort of formulated. And, and then, you know, it's like... A snowball effect really. I I had the intention of writing the book and and I started to collect stories and I I wanted to present as many different aspects of death as possible from all sorts of different perspectives, historical, psychological, mythical, um, medical, and tie all of that together with real-life stories of people who had had experiences that perhaps would surprise some people, because I think we tend to look at death as being, which it is, a very difficult, um, grieving, painful process sometimes, especially for, you know, the family or or losing somebody that you love. But actually, um, like everything else, I think death has another face. And in that other face, um, it allows grace to enter our lives. And this process of transition, if we can really actually be fully present and um, overcome our fear, can, can be very enlightening and, um, you know, change perspectives uh, on, a, on a lot of different things. And perhaps the, the main one being about, you know, what does death actually, what does physical death actually mean? And so that's right. where the book came from.
1: Now, don't you think most people think of physical death, I mean, if you think about uh, a, a corpse as a case in point, you're no longer thinking about a life form. And if you think about a corpse four or five days down the highway, laying in the open, you've got something that's really quite vile, something that, you know, we, we turn our nose up and we try to avoid. And uh, how how do you change, in, in your mind, how do you change or re-educate the way people view death uh the way they view the vehicle that w- one has lived in and 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 separate that from the quintessential self that is as I would assume you would say who we really are, the soul of Plato, I see that you love Plato. we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> but the soul of plato how do, how do you re- how how would you suggest re-educating?
2: well, I think there are two things um attached to the two parts attached to that question. I think the first is the one that we can all recognize that even as we get older, even perhaps in times of challenges and difficulties, within ourselves, we still feel the same person. Um, and I think it's very important to translate that into um, a person who is in the dying process rather than looking at them perhaps from just the outside and Certainly with, you know, major terminal illnesses, um, the images that perhaps we're left with in the final months, weeks or days are, are distressing in that because the physical body does begin to erode and break down. But I think that's one of the important things about being fully present with somebody in this state is that if we are, we, we can see for ourselves that that person, that personality... And also, that creative, divine spark of life in that in that particular person is the same. You know, they they haven't transformed into some something else.
0: Right. And
2: so, um, I think it's partly the the place of of really getting in touch with this idea that yes, the outer body is going to. Um, you know, it's going to be corruptible in the world, uh, word of the ant- uh, ancient alchemists. And one of the ways that I think that we can actually get in touch with what does that mean is by looking back into the world of mythology and alchemy because we see that, um, You know, many of these societies right from way back thousands of years ago had myths about death. They had resurrection myths. They had all sorts of symbology and rituals that surrounded that place. So for them, it was not an alien word. And You know, sometimes we tend to look at this transition period as though it's something very different for life. We go along with life, and then suddenly one day... Somebody has died or something has happened and somebody may be about to die. And it's as though this wasn't a normal part of life. It's just some terrible place that we have to deal with and get over with as fast as possible so that we can return to what we term to be our normal life. But the truth of the matter is that death is part of that natural life cycle. And a lot of these early resurrection myths, certainly um, in the Egyptian and Greek format, were to do with analogies of the continual phases of nature. And all around us, we do have this constant example of um, death, or rather birth, death, and, and rebirth. And I think ancient societies actually were far more in touch with that, and gradually through the Centuries and millennia, you know we came very distanced from that idea, and um you know a much more scientific approach was taken to all of these things and they have you know become lost from our consciousness, and so we don't have anything like that to hold on to, even you know even religion and religious mythologies to a certain point um don't always hold that container any longer because many people have stepped away from their own religions um obviously many people still you know do have a belief system but for the many that don't there isn't anything left to um hold on to in those times to give a deeper explanation and i think that um again from you know thousands of years ago we hear these cases of after-death communication of some kind. Even in the Bible, um, you know, we hear of King Saul actually um, consulting a medium. And um, all of these things, if if they slowly begin to come back into our consciousness, give us this idea that actually, you know, perhaps we need to dig a bit deeper, that perhaps we have... Uh, A deeper knowledge inside of us and we need to really get down there and find it and I think that sometimes you know in something like the dying process and when I say the dying process I I include things like a near-death experience where people actually have the experience of dying and they have the experience of something else and um, when we look at those kind of stories now and see that they also date back thousands and thousands of years. Um, We see that there's something um, that is continual within our society even now that dates back to primordial times, and it's this motif of death and rebirth. We see it around us in the natural world. We all, I believe, have... um, experiences of this manifesting in our own lives in one way or another but again I don't think there's always an open forum for people to discuss their own experiences and that's why partly you know in the book I like the idea of having people actually able to get that thought let's pick that
1: up when we come back from break we're coming on a hard break you're listening to provocative enlightenment on hay house radio i'm talking with anna maria hemingway about her book practicing conscious living and dying you can follow the links under provocative enlightenment on eldentaylor.com to her website books and other work we'll be right back after the following words from some of our friends
3: Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world, and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Innertalk.com Confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome back. Now, if you just joined us, I'm Eldon Taylor, and my guest today is Anna Maria Hemingway. And we're talking about the evidence for life after death, including the phenomena known as NDEs, uh, near-death experiences, and OBEs, out-of-body experiences. Just before we went to break, uh... Anna Maria was telling us about the problem that we have in our society, discussing the whole nature of death. One of the things that she has done in her book is, of course, introduce the idea of how important it is, as Plato might say, for us to practice dying. Indeed, in the Phaedrus, uh, Plato tells us that the soul falls down into the body. And I know that uh, he's one of your favorites, because anybody that reads your book will we we'll read nearly every chapter, beginning with a Plato or a Socratic or a Socrates quote. So, what is your take on on how we practice dying, Anna Maria?
2: Well, um, I do like Plato very much. It's true; um, he's become one of my favorites because, uh, partly, I, I find it incredible that somebody that lived so many thousands of years ago you know, had such valid and life-changing things to say. Um, You know,
1: if if I may, just as an aside, Alfred North Whitehead, uh, uh, chair of the philosophy department at Harvard, said, maybe with some exaggeration, that everything written in philosophy since Plato was but a footnote on Plato. So you're absolutely right. But go on, I'm sorry.
2: Um, I was just going to say, you know, in the break I noticed... um, one of the um, little sections you had on the, I can't remember who the person was, but they were talking about this idea of um, separateness. And really, I think um, when we're talking about this idea of practice dying, you know, what does that mean? It really does mean dying to this idea uh, of an ego-based consciousness, you know, me, 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 what do I need? Um, And all of that kind of, of way of of walking through the world and I, and I think um you know as some of our um perhaps deeper belief systems have kind of fallen away uh, we do live in a society that is very much geared to um that i person and and that does um bring about um feelings of separateness and i think you know we feel the most acutely when we have really difficult and challenging times sometimes and that uh, um this idea again of practicing dying is that place of kind of drop this um you know ego based consciousness or identity and and letting it dissolve and you know out of that um, We come to a more authentic place and certainly people that have near-death experiences And you know many of them have a life review and describe that as that kind of a process You know, they will talk about I saw how self-involved I was or I saw how little I thought about other people or you know remarks perhaps like that and um, although there's no judgment in these um, life reviews, it's not like there's somebody standing there saying, well, you were a very bad person, you know, you're going to suffer. Um, Their judgment actually is their own self-judgment. And I think that we can see how this works when we look at how near-death survivors come back and um, adopt a very different lifestyle, which is centered very much... On others rather than their individual selves.
1: Okay, so let me paraphrase that. I want to make sure that we got it. Basically, practicing dying might be said living for others as opposed to living for ego, living in service as opposed to living in what I can take from the world.
2: Yes, I think in a nutshell that you know. Okay, uh, now you
1: you heard in the setup piece uh i read a letter from one of our listeners she's confused about some teachings regarding evil now you're a minister in addition to your academic academic standings academic uh credentials and and so i'm going to take this question in part to you is evil based on your experience based on those that you have interviewed, the NDEs, the OBEs, and, of course, the work of those that you have also that have shared their work with you. Is evil real or is it just a matter of our human propensity to resist uh, good?
2: Um, Well, I think we can't undermine, um, you know, energetic forces, um, where they emanate from and how, Uh, We don't know. It's part of the mystery. I think when we talk about all of these things, we have to remember that there is a mystery that we're not going to unravel, probably, but we get little clues and get nearer and get these moments of sort of enlightenment or insight. Um, As far as evil goes, um, you know, when we look at a near-death experience, sometimes people have a negative near-death experience. It isn't all um, you know, wonderful and light and love. Um, elaborate it's on that. Share
1: share some of that. Will you please? Sorry? I mean, I, I, I'd have you elaborate on i oh, I've yeah. interviewed dozens okay, well, some of... Some
2: people um, who have a near-death experience, they don't have... Um, this pleasant vision of an afterlife and, um, you know, being embraced into the light and feelings of of complete bliss and unity and recognition of whatever it is that they call God and a feeling of, you know, intense connection in in that place. They actually have visions of what we would term to be hell. Um, You know, really very frightening, disturbing visions, which can include all kinds of uh, images, unpleasant images, um, people perhaps attacking them or in in very dark, gloomy places. And, um, you know, we would wonder... Why would some people? Because this doesn't necessarily mean that that person has led a bad life and is deserving of that kind of a vision. But an interesting theory about that is that there is a collective unconscious. And within that collective unconscious, really through our own acts and thoughts, um, we create evil. And that, you know, these people may be entering that kind of collective place of suffering because there is an awful lot of suffering in the world and you know we can really see that the human being does have a lot to do with that um we can't blame that on outer sources our own behavior but i think that you know this idea of evil is also because people are again very identified with the self um Uh,
1: And so they're very self-serving. Now, now let me me, me stop you there just because I want to make sure I understand you. Do do you think that the idea of evil is because people are so identified with themselves? Or do you think people are susceptible to this notion of evil because they become self-centered? So ego-oriented?
2: Um, well, I think it's a combination of both, you know, and I think it was Jung um, who actually described evil as a lack of goodness. You know, like we can say the dark is a lack of light um, rather than so, being...
1: So you wouldn't do evil from uh, some portrait of, uh, of um, Dante's Inferno? For you, it would be a union. Evil uh, is not an archetype itself. It is a a absence of uh, our acceptance of good.
2: Yes, you know it could be described that way. I think we all have a very different interpretation of what actually, you know, what evil actually means to us. Um, depending on our own experiences. So like everything else, I think it's a very personal idea, you know. Uh... Do you
1: think we maybe we'd have uh, a split in the collective? There is a collective that deals with uh, the positive uh, expectations, that tunnel of light and those loved ones that come to us, and then there is a collective that uh, maybe read Milton's Paradise Lost too many times.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that we we contain both of those aspects within ourselves, like we contain the potential for evil, however that's translated, and we also have the potential for goodness. So, um, you know, things are always in this kind of paradoxical kind of pairs, and um, I think it's a very difficult question to answer if you're looking for a very literal
1: Um, No, no, I I don't think we can have a a literal because, again, as you say, uh, this entire issue is is masked in mystery. I mean, can a caterpillar even imagine crawling into a a cocoon and coming out a butterfly? I don't think so. I don't think they make a plan uh, to enter the stage of chrysalis and fly. The idea of a caterpillar saying to itself, well, tomorrow I'm going to fly, just i so i, I think we we have these things in front of us but i don't think that we have the ability or the the methodology uh to to even go beyond the fact that it's a mystery but where i want to get to is i i have interviewed dozens of people that are so called experts on life after death and some of them genuinely have done some really innovative work but they all tend to swerve away uh, from this idea that maybe there is something in the world like the entity. Are you familiar with the the story of the entity, Anna Maria?
2: I don't know that story. No.
1: Well, this is this was this is a story well documented story. They made a movie out of it. It's a book out of it. They've, in fact, there's a new movie release coming, uh, all updated. But this is and it's just one of many stories where. A entity from the other side takes possession of a human being. In this instance, it's a woman who is repeatedly abused sexually, and uh, and 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 some of it on film in front of investigators, psychologists, and parapsychologists. Uh, and then they're witnessing her being picked up and thrown. Uh, depression in the skin, uh, and, and you know, depressions in the bed that are not her. Uh, and and so on and so forth. So my question, I guess, where where I come to is in all of the work that you've done and generally assembled. You yourself now, and, and I'm, I'm calling on your opinion. Is there a a, a sort of bardo, a sort of in between place that these kinds of the the Mansons and the and the Hitlers might go? Is there some influence that is uh, It is the Beelzebub or the Lucifer of the Bible, uh, and and we're rich with that kind of image in mythology. Where where do you come down personally?
2: Well, you know, my research really is into mythological motifs, and um, certainly, yes, there is that place. Um, We do see and hear about it in the Bardo states, Um, you know, all kinds of wrathful entities are encountered. And again, in the near-death experience, we do hear of people, you know, having these very disturbing, frightening experiences. Um, You know, Christianity has this idea of, um, you know, hell for the damned. And um, I, I think, again, this is obviously something that we carry within our psyches, you know, some kind of knowledge some kind of motif that does exist and um we do see the manifestation of evil um i haven't seen you know the the particular example that you gave but you know there are plenty and in many um you know churches there is this idea of exorcism um christ himself even uh you know, conducted what we might call an exorcism, taking a, yes. a dark spirit away. So um it's a mystery. I mean, we can't define it, but we're certainly aware that evil exists in whatever construct we might care to determine that, and, and we can see it, you know, manifesting around us. And, and perhaps the only way to... um To become more aware of that is to personally take responsibility, um, you know, not to be drawn into those places. And if we are, um, like, for example, in a near-death experience, um, there is that place where the light does prevail. So we go back to that, you know, very ancient idea of the forces of light and darkness. And right. it's and we, we've we a... some
1: we've got some questions off the, uh, out of the chat room and, and some callers on the air. But before we go to that I wanna I wanna kind of finish out a thought here that I I believe you have advanced. I wanna I wanna be sure that I'm clear on this. You spoke of how little uh, interest is given to myth today. How we have moved away from that. How in our science and da 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 da, we have decided that these things are less important. And how that has betrayed us in the end, in our ability to understand or to view uh, the process of of death. Uh, I think you know the as it was Socrates that said it's among our greatest blessings. Do you also believe that that is? Uh, That's partially brought about because of this secular progressive kind of of uh, uh, focus that has taken people completely away from uh, the notion that there is a spiritual reality, the notion that, you know, we do live our lives for other than some Nietzschean. Rule of self-gain, that that we are here to take care of others, and that if indeed we were to re-embrace the idea that there is a polarity, there is a good and an evil, it might serve as a motivation to get us back to paying a little more attention to the service that we give others.
2: I certainly do think that, and I think even though consciously, you know, that idea has become... um, put into the unconscious of humanity, if you like. We certainly see it a lot in films. Um, You know, all creative acts, whether it's writing a play or a poem or whatever, are actually, you know, going into that transcendent place. And, you know, when we look at the movies we watch, we see that actually, you know, those myths are still there. And we may not recognize that fact, but um, all the time that projection is there. Um, and so we, we do actually have examples in our modern day world, but we need to tie the whole thing together.
1: Yeah, but most of the myths we see in the media, aren't they the hero kind of myth as opposed to the to the, the spiritual? I mean, aren't they, you know, I, I guess it's one of the areas that I spend a lot of time in because of my work in what influences people to do what they do do, but... Uh, You know, the violence that we see in television, the increased levels of of sexuality, etc. all of this is just diminishing the threshold of arousal, systematically desensitizing it, requiring more and more. And so we end up with, you know, with people that, yeah, they have their hero epics, like go ahead and make my day, you know, or their Mm -hmm. first blood ideas. I don't get even, I get evener, but I don't see in that. But very little film. There, there, there is, as you point out, some really good film, but very little film that actually moves us along the lines of the greater myth, the, the, the nature of life and how it resurrects itself and, and that which is the blessing of death. Am I missing something?
2: Um, no, I think you're right. I, I think I was just uh, trying to bring up the fact that it does still exist. You know, it is still there. It it might be sort of in the minority. And I think it's, you know, down to people, again, to make choices. Um, We don't have to watch the television. We don't have to go to violent movies or read violent books. But um, we do, or a great majority of people do. And certainly, um, you know, that comes down to choice again. I think what I was trying to bring out is that that um, motif does still exist, and that, um, you know, it is possible to see um, that that place in our media. Um, you know, there's some wonderful programs, like you said, and movies, and they might be in the minority, but they're there. And I think, you know, that we, we need to look to that to see that that... Meet Joe Black. Sorry?
1: Have you seen that one, Meet Joe Black? Um, No. That's <laughs> right, so that is a great one. You have to see that one. But let's let's take a call. We have uh, we have a caller on line one that is going to tell us there's no such thing as death. Welcome to our show. Are you there, Carmelina?
0: Oh yes. Hello,
1: Carmelina. Oh. You're on the air.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Do you so feel that? So is your this lovely life? dog.
1: What is your dog's <laughs> name, Carmelina? My dog,
0: unfortunately, is a talker. He's an (laughs) Aussie, an Australian shepherd with an incredibly loud voice, which is great for herding sheep.
1: We love Australian shepherds around here. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, well, I was, um, actually, I could elaborate a lot on exactly what you just discussed about, because I've gone through a lot of personal experiences on this. But the question that I'm going to put for it right now is, don't you believe this life is an illusion? It's a dream? Anna Maria? Ah. Um, I think to a
2: certain extent, um, the way we live life is often an illusion or dream. Again, you know, we go back to this uh, ancient idea, and the idea was uh, wake up. Wake up to the reality of what, um, you know, life is about. And I I think what we've been discussing really encompasses this whole idea of getting out of this illusion and actually finding a deeper reality. So, yes, I'd agree with you. You see,
0: I, I also can see your viewpoint on this, and there's, I, I love this phrase, there's magic in the telling. So there's always something wonderful that comes out of the surgency of people bringing their minds together. And the the reason why I had it, I did this years ago, I told the Creator, Divine Father, I don't want to know this one's truth, that one's truth, this one's truth, because truth is relative. When you look at it that way, I said, I want to know your truth, which is the absolute truth. And the creator said, my truth is very difficult to learn because you're not at the level where you're capable of grasping my truth in all its entirety. I can give it to you in bits and pieces. So one of the things the creator did was the creator kept telling me, because I was very upset, why are all these bad things happening to all these good people? And the creator said, but this life is an illusion. And I said, what are you talking about? It's not real. Your real life is with me. You're only here temporarily.
1: You know, Carmelina, Mm -hmm. I love that philosophy. I I truly do love that philosophy. Mm -hmm. However, the pragmatist inside me says, okay, let's assume it's the Matrix. Let's assume that we're in that movie just as the Matrix suggests, you know? Mm -hmm. How does that change our real life? We're still in our real life committed to doing what? Uh, Well, you know, if you have a ruptured appendix, Mm -hmm. denying the fact that you're in pain is a little bit absurd. So Mm -hmm. we still are caught in a real world, even though, and and, and this is just a pure pragmatic, even though in my mind I am 100% in sympathy with what you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, Pragmatically, it doesn't change the, the way you live your life. And we're going to have to leave it there, Carmelina, because we're out of time. I appreciate you calling in. Please call us next week. Maybe we'll pick it up again there. Uh, Anna Maria, we have about a minute, 30 seconds. I'm going to give you half that time, 45 seconds. Tell us, tell our audience how they can get a hold of you, where they can get your book. It is a wonderful read and, by the way, very well written. Take it.
2: Um, well, the book's available from any good bookstore or certainly on Amazon and any of the uh, Internet sites. I do have a website, which is www.practicingconsciouslivinganddying.com, which is the title of the book as well, and um, there are details there on how to contact me, and I'm always happy to answer any queries um, if people want to get in touch with me.
1: You're wonderful. We've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment and I want to thank our guests you have been wonderful Anna Maria and I have, do not mean to put you on the spot uh, but you know it—it it, it is wonderful to have somebody that will speak very candidly and from their personal experience when they're interpreting the facts so again I really want to thank you for being here uh, I want to thank all of our listening audience for joining us today and I hope that you'll listen again next week same time same place our guest next week is Shazzy and she is a real favorite of mine She comes to us from the United Kingdom, where she is quite well known, and she will be sharing some of her proven detox methods that are great for the mind and body. Okay, as I paraphrase every week, above all else, know thyself.